0: So, I'm just going to tell you right now undercharge people at your own risk. Set your rate, stick to your rate. Because ultimately, if you don't do that and this person stays around long enough, eventually it will start to wear on you and you will start to resent them. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and today we are going to talk about three questions you must answer to be a successful trainer or coach. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's new in my neck of the woods. It's been really interesting, to say the least, because it's been a very short work week. You know, we had the weekend, and then we worked a day, and a day off, and then like three-day work week, so it was short in that instance, you know, or in that respect, like short work week, but man, I got some time to chill. But man, now that we're in the throes of the work week, I just feel like I have all the things, right? I got to catch up on content. I've got to record shows. I've got coaching clients that were out of town and getting back into town, you know, just random things to do with the family. And then tomorrow I have all my coaching clients work all day, finish my last client, go straight to the airport because I'm going to summer league for three and a half days. So man, lots of stuff going on, but all of it good stuff. few more things just of note people are always asking you know what's going on what are you up to had an awesome weekend with Cade we went uh, to his first ever Reds game this weekend so shout out to my guy Aaron Kunanen uh, I believe he's like the high performance director over there now he's a big shot but former iFast intern and man just an awesome dude got us amazing tickets we were right behind home plate and I haven't been to a major league game in quite some time, and it was just so much fun to go so much faster now, too, with the pitch clock. So we really enjoyed that. And he had an absolute blast. So we did that. Uh, Kendall is, you know, just kind of in chill mode a little bit for soccer. I know last time I probably mentioned it, she had her big tryout. She made the team she was hoping for. So she's very excited about that. And she's been putting in a lot of work. It's been really fun to watch her. So, we've been going three times a week. We go to the soccer field and we work on specific skills she needs to address or to get better at before the season starts. She's doing great with that. Uh, her coaches are awesome. They actually asked me to write a conditioning program for her team because this is a big year for them. They go from a 9v9 field to an 11v11 field. So, it's like a third, you know, 30 to 40% bigger. And they go from 60 minute games to 70 minute games. So, Really big shift uh, in the the physicality of the game and the conditioning that they're going to need to be successful. So that's been cool, and the girls are doing awesome with that. Uh, coaching has been going amazing this summer. You know, one of probably my best slash favorite years of coaching because it's been good and it's also been challenging in certain ways. You know, some things haven't gone exactly like I would have thought or hoped. And so those always open up opportunities to get better. So by and large, the guys and girls I'm working with are doing amazing. We're seeing great progress. And I'm really excited to show on the back end of all this, some of the force plate data that I've collected, because I think we've got some really cool stuff there to show how monitoring this stuff and tracking this stuff over time and having the right KPIs can really help you dive in and figure out if what you're doing is working. So coaching has been great. Content, if you haven't noticed, obviously I don't miss weeks with this show. You know, there's been plenty of weeks where I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. How am I going to get this done? Like today, <laughs> you know, I have stuff all day today, but you know, I outlined this show and I'm like, no, this is something that I think will be really powerful and hopefully impact a lot of you positively. So content's been rolling, videos. If you haven't followed me on YouTube lately, go over there and subscribe because I'm probably going to miss one next week. I'm going to try not to, but I'm going to try and start doing the same thing over there where I do anywhere from like eight to 15 minute vlogs on something I'm thinking about. I've done a bunch already where Luke and I talked about my ground prep series. We talked about knees over toes. We talked about training for Achilles health. The one that just dropped this week is all about medicine ball training. And I created that for intern Sandy she had a lot of questions about medicine ball training. So I did just basically like an 18, 20 minute little video about how I approach medicine ball training. And it's not all encompassing, but I think it could be really valuable. So make sure you're checking those out and then yeah, summer league this weekend. So trying to get all of the things done, check all of the boxes so that when I leave, I can go and really relax. The only thing that I have to work on while I'm there there. Is this IFAS basketball program? Uh, And if you're unfamiliar with that, again, check the email, check the show notes. I'll put stuff in there. But really excited to create an off-season basketball program for high school kids because I think this is a vastly underserved audience. And it's weird to say that because we have more high school strength coaches, more people that are training high school players than ever before. And I'm not bashing any of them because we all have constraints and limitations, but. I'm not sure that we're always doing the best job of taking care of these kids and really working to develop them for the long haul. So that will drop this weekend. Super excited about that. And just like all of the, the pieces to that, right? It's like a program. We're going to talk about the why behind the program. So it's beneficial for you coaches. If you want to know my rationale or my thinking, why write the programs the way that I do. We've got a circle group, which I'm excited to move to. I'm, over Facebook, (laughs) kind of hate Facebook at this point. So Circle is kind of like a Facebook group, but without all the clutter, it's much cleaner, it's much more easily organized. So I'm gonna move the group into that and it should be really good. So that is what's going on, but let's talk about this episode, shall we? Because when you're just getting started, and we've all had that point in our career where we're just getting started, coaching is all you wanna do. Like it's so much fun, You love being in the gym. You would put in 12, 14, 16 hour days and maybe the day just flies by. You get done at the end. Yeah, you're tired, but you're exhilarated. You know, you put in a great shift. And look, a lot of us do it for free when we're starting. I mean, I remember when I started a couple different times, honestly, like when I started working at Ball State, I was a volunteer strength coach. Uh, When we opened IFAST, there were clients I trained for free because they couldn't afford to work with me. When I got into the basketball game and started training more basketball players, we coached a lot of basketball players for free. But at some point in time, if you want to be successful over the long haul, you got to start treating this like a professional. And it's not to say training people for free isn't professional because we all start there and we all probably do it. But over time, you have to start getting a little bit more serious about some of the back end stuff. Like, why are you doing this? Who are you trying to take care of? And that leads me to our three questions, and I'm gonna give them to you now, but we're really gonna dive into these and figure out where you're at and what you need to work on to be more successful down the line. So the three questions that I think every trainer or coach needs to ask are, number one, what's my philosophy? Number two, who will I serve? And number three, how much will I charge? Okay. And like I said, we're gonna dive into each one of these and we're gonna guide you through this process. Like I'm gonna ask you the questions, I'm gonna give you feedback and thoughts, um, some related stories and experiences that I've had along the way. And oh, by the way, I'm hoping to give you a couple truth bombs in here too, because look, a lot of times people wanna you know sugarcoat some of this stuff or gloss over it and act like it's unimportant. Look, all of this stuff is important and I could probably create a list of a hundred questions. But I think these three are really foundational for you being successful as a trainer or coach. So with that being said, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna answer these three questions you need to ask to be successful. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome techniques. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now, here's the thing. Spots for the cert only open twice per year for a limited time. But if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to CompleteCoachCertification.com. Again, that's CompleteCoachCertification.com. And then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. Let's dive in. Let's go. Because man, again, when I was creating this outline yesterday, I was so excited. So let's start with number one. What's my philosophy? And keep in mind, if you're just starting out, this is a tough question to answer, right? Like you don't even know what your philosophy is. You're just excited to go out there and, you know, get a couple clients to get in the gym because you love training yourself. You know, you're going to love coaching people. So you just want to get out there and do stuff. You haven't thought about the why behind why you're doing things or why certain things allow you to be successful. And if we're being honest here, creating your philosophy isn't something you're probably going to do in your first year. It's probably going to take multiple years, three, five, maybe even as long as 10 years to really hone in and figure out what your philosophy is. But we're going to try and fast track that because I think maybe based on my experiences, maybe based on... You know, just some people I met along the way, I'm not entirely sure, but I feel like I had my philosophy, at least in the broad strokes, figured out fairly early on. And let's see if we can't help you do that as well. So for me, I think the whole concept of philosophy really started to shine through somewhere in years three to five. So without giving you the entire career arc, because you probably don't want to revisit that right now, my First years of training, let's just say 94 to 2000, were just being in a weight room, right? I loved working out. I loved reading about working out. The information at that time was pretty limited, right? Like T Nation wasn't even a thing yet. So I'm reading bodybuilding magazines. It's like muscle and fitness and flex and Iron Man. So, you know, I had trained very bodybuilding style for a long time. And it wasn't until 2000, 2002, now I'm around athletes, right? And I knew this is kind of where I wanted to finish up, but I was really into powerlifting at this point in time. And so I started making these trips to Westside, right? I took a course with Dave Tate. Uh, We went over a second time and hung out with Dave. We hung out with Louis Simmons. And we just got to get immersed in this training environment. And it was awesome, right? Because you go over there and you're going to get stronger. But the downside was so many of these guys were just broken, you know, and guys, not that much older than me. I was in my like early twenties at that point in time, you got guys in their early to mid thirties and they're just destroyed. We're talking pecs, tears, patellar tendon tears, shoulders so bad. It takes them 20 minutes, you know, to get the external rotation necessary to get underneath a bar. It was wild. And so for me, I kept thinking to myself, man, I would love to be crazy strong like this. You know, you watch Chuck Vogel poll, squat 635 with two blue bands, a green band, and a purple band, which is like 1050 at the top, you can't help but be impressed. But at the same time, I'm just thinking to myself, like, that's awesome, but I don't want to be broken when I'm in my mid-30s or my late 30s. I want to be able to throw a ball with my son. So the question that I started to ask myself was, how can we help people lift heavy things and not break themselves in the process? And I know this sounds incredibly basic right again this is like 20 year old mike thinking this but it started to help me form this philosophy of is there a way to help people move more efficiently that's going to put less stress less wear and tear on their body while still allowing them to be as strong as they want to be or as athletic as they want to be and what's fun about this if you go back and you kind of follow the career arc I'm writing a lot at this point in time. And so this starts to show up in the the work that I'm doing for T Nation uh, later on for Elite FTS. But Eric and I collaborated on the Neanderthal No More series. Okay, how can we improve your posture, your alignment, your movement, so that you're more efficient, you're more effective, and ultimately you can squat or deadlift for a longer period of time. Uh, I created an article called Hips Don't Lie. There were stretching articles, mobility articles, but it was like kind of the yin to the yang right? How can we do certain things to help people move more effectively? And so, you know, if I had to summarize my philosophy and kind of how I do this, it's always revolved around movement efficiency, right? My goal is to help my clients and athletes move efficiently first and then help them run fast, jump high, lift heavy things, go for crazy distances, whatever the case may be. But it all stems from this movement efficiency first, In fact, I think I still have it. I think I still have the web domain movementefficiency.com because I coined it so early on. I was like, at some point, maybe I'll need this website. But there's a couple caveats to this because if you look at the opposite to this, people say, oh, Mike, you know, he just has his people like foam roll and do breathing and resets the whole time. You know, it's fair. Whatever. (laughs) If people want to say that about me and they've never seen me coach, that's totally cool. But if you come into my gym, you'll see, yeah, we do those things right? Yeah, we do put an emphasis on moving well, but we get after it too, right? Like we find ways to push our clients and athletes. So there's a few caveats with this. And yes, I'm big on movement efficiency or optimized movement. But with that being said, I'm not focused on perfect movement because nobody moves well. You know, I might know what my squat model is, like the perfect squat or the perfect hinge or perfect deadlift. I know what that looks like, but I don't know if I've ever seen somebody do it right? And I know what a, a great squat looks like. That doesn't mean I can capture it myself, right? Because I've got certain structural limitations and adaptations that don't allow me to squat in a perfectly like biomechanically perfect way. That's okay. Cause I'm not worried about perfect movement, right? I'm worried about helping people move as well as they possibly can. Another caveat to this is this idea of managing asymmetry because For, you know, probably five or 10 years, the industry was caught up in, oh, we gotta be perfectly symmetrical, we gotta be neutral, you know, we've gotta be perfectly balanced and everything. Look, I don't know about you, but very few people I know are perfectly symmetrical. In fact, the number is incredibly close to zero. People don't move perfectly symmetrical because we're inherently asymmetrical from the inside out. So for me, it's more about managing asymmetry. And you can do this in a number of ways. You can do this visually. Like when they squat, do they shift side to side? When they hinge, do they shift side to side? How does their left split squat look compared to their right? If you have force plates, what are their jump numbers look like? Whether it's braking, whether it's propulsion, are they overloading one side versus the other? You know, at the end of the day, it's not about helping somebody move perfectly or be perfectly symmetrical, but we do want to optimize their movement. We want to get them within this safe, buffer zone-ish range. And then the final piece I wanna add here is that you know I've always had this core philosophy of helping somebody move efficiently, but that doesn't mean that I've done it the same way for the last 20 years. So if you go back to the early to late 2000s, yeah, there was a lot of stretching. There was a lot of foam rolling. There was a lot of activation work. Now, if you look at how we optimize movement, man, there might be breathing and resets in there. Uh, There might be rolling patterns versus just foam rolling. There might be sled dragging. Uh, It's a much more all-encompassing approach, right? Versus trying to put little band-aids on certain issues. The entire program is geared towards, hey, if somebody lacks hip extension, how can we get hip extension back? If somebody's lacking shoulder motion, how how do we recapture shoulder motion throughout the program and not just put this one little section in here where we hope we can recapture that motion. So, you know, how I go about this via my programs has evolved greatly, but the philosophy is still the same. And I think that's really important to note. Your philosophy shouldn't change all that much, but how you go about it, some of the X's and O's and technical stuff, that's probably gonna change and that's okay. So now it's time to spin this around on you. I wanna ask you this, what's your philosophy? What do you truly believe to be true. And again, something like movement efficiency, like, yeah, that's very kind of like grandiose and also nebulous, but it allows me a lot of room to operate. So for you, what do you truly believe in, right? When it comes to training, what's most important to you? What are some overarching principles or North stars that you can always follow? Maybe you're just a huge believer that strength underpins everything. So you're gonna say, I'm gonna put a huge emphasis on strength. Or if you train athletes, I want them to be incredibly well-rounded, like no one physical quality is most important. Speed, strength, power, conditioning. Doesn't matter to me what your philosophy is, but I think it's important for you to start thinking about this. And as you do, I wrote this little note down, I think it's important. To help you along this, I think it's really important to think about principles versus specifics. Okay, so if I reverse engineered my whole mantra, right, instead of talking about movement efficiency, I said, I believe in foam rolling, static stretching, corrective exercises, activation drills, that would have changed, right? Because those are specifics, those are elements of a program. Versus when I just talk about movement efficiency, you know, in 2008, when we're writing these programs, we're like, God damn, this is like great. Oh man, we're getting all these awesome changes. But the programs took forever, right? They were a little bit clunky, uh, Frankensteinish, if you will, versus now you look at how we write a program. It's much more streamlined. It's much more elegant. And ultimately, I feel like we get way better results because we don't have to do some of those low-level activities on a daily basis just to maintain the progress. So when you're thinking about your philosophy, I think it's really important. Think about principles versus specifics, because the specifics can and will change as you evolve as a coach. So that's number one. What's your philosophy? Second question, this should be fun. Who will I serve? Again, who will I serve? And I think when you're starting off, this needs to be similar to the LTAD or the Long Term Athletic Development model. If you're unfamiliar with that model, think really wide base. So if you got a little kid, Johnny's four, you don't want Johnny playing soccer year round from when he's four to when he's 14, right? Because his pyramid isn't even a pyramid. It's like a really skinny rectangle sitting on its end. Instead, you want to expose little Johnny to everything, right? Baseball, soccer, football, basketball, ice hockey, swimming, hiking, as many activities as you can expose him to, the better right? Because now he's got this really broad, like motor experience. And then when it is time for little Johnny to specialize, you know, maybe he strips out some of the random stuff and eventually just plays uh, soccer, basketball, and baseball. And then as Johnny gets better and better, well, now it's just soccer and baseball. And eventually he decides that he's going to play one by the time he's in you know high school or late in high school. So this works really well when we're coaching clients and athletes as well. Okay, so think about this. If you decide I'm only gonna focus on basketball, and from the time you're 21 and you get an internship until the time you're 41, all you train is basketball, you've got a ton of domain-specific knowledge, but I would argue you're missing some perspective because you didn't generalize early on, okay? So I think it's really important in your career, regardless of where you wanna end up or who you wanna train long-term, you need to coach as many different types of folks early in your career as you possibly can. And so I think one of the things for me was, or at least it was helpful, like in retrospect, was the fact that I didn't know exactly who I wanted to train. Like I had inklings along the way, but I didn't really know. So there was so much diversity. Like if you look at when I fast opened and you just look at our training day at 6, 7, 8 a.m. At 6 a.m. We had fat loss clients. Like we had a legit fat loss group. They all wanted to shed anywhere from 10 pounds to one guy was like over 400. He wanted to get down to 200, right? So we had fat loss clients at six. I had a more pure strength training guy at seven. Like he wanted to get strong, you know, just a gen pop guy. He was a financial planner. At 10 o'clock, we had a guy that wanted to be in the secret service. And if you've ever seen my R7 talk where I talk about, you know, all the foam rolling and I had to get away from foam rolling, at least to a degree, because I gave one guy 13 exercises or 13 muscle groups to foam roll. That was the guy, because every day it was his shoulder, his knee, his back, his hip, his Achilles, something hurt every day. But I learned a ton working with him. Later in the afternoon, I had an Olympic hopeful bobsledder, which was crazy. I'd never worked with a bobsledder before, and now I've got a guy who wants to get into the Olympics. I had my first pro MMA fighter. I had the infamous K-Dog. I had two figure competitors. Never worked in physique sports, at least not at that level. And now I've got two pretty high level figure competitors in my gym. So just the broadness and the width of that couple years of training experience really allowed me to have perspective. Oh, and not to mention, we've got 70 and 80 year old clients that just want to move well, feel well, go out and play golf on the weekends and not hurt. So I had this massive width of exposures. And then I started to think about, okay, well, that was when I fast opened, but if we go even further than back, right? Like you could go back to when I was at Ball State. Yeah, it was all division one athletes, but man, I worked with basketball. I worked with soccer, football, volleyball, the powerlifting team, sometimes baseball. It was an all hands on deck kind of approach. So I did that. When I was in Fort Wayne, I had everything from you know division three level soccer players, let me see, softball players, football players, I had them, I had 80 year old chronic low back pain people. So the point I'm making here is this, when you're starting off, coach anybody and everybody, right? I think this is incredibly valuable because then when it is time to specialize, you've had to run the gamut. You haven't just had, oh, I've worked with relatively healthy basketball players my whole career. You've worked with all these different people, all these different sports, all these different aches and pains, And now your toolbox is so much more robust. When you do go to specialize, it's going to be that much easier for you. So once you have honed in, you've done that, you know, three, five year window, maybe even 10 years, depending on where you're at and who you're coaching. Once you time, it's time for you to specialize. It's time to lock in. And the hard thing, if I'm being honest about myself, is I've locked in a couple times and I kind of knew each time it wasn't the exact right fit. So for a little while, again, you're thinking 2010 to 13, 14, I worked with a lot of powerlifters. I worked with a lot of strength athletes. Um, that's when I was doing a lot of work with Elite FTS and I was you know, writing programs for some of their guys and you know, corrective exercise routines, whatever you want to call it. But I was trying to help those guys get healthy so they could go out and compete. You know, probably the best success story was AJ Roberts. Because, you know, he came over, he got evaled by Bill, and we did some work together. Incredibly basic stuff, right? Like, at some point, I'll have to go back and revisit that. But it's incredibly basic stuff. But he always said, like, hey, this helped me stay healthy. This allowed me to train at a high level. And he ended up breaking the squat world record at that point in time. So, you know, for a while, I thought I was going to be in that niche. And then I realized, nah, I mean, I love it. But these, yeah, I just can't keep these guys healthy. So that wasn't satisfying. And then I was in soccer like deeply entrenched in soccer for four or five years. And I love that. It was a great experience. I got to work with, you know, the Indy 11. I got to work with a lot of guys from the MLS, the men's and women's national team. Like that was an amazing experience. But again, I never felt totally immersed in that culture because I didn't grow up playing soccer. So I've had to work for every ounce of respect in that field because I don't come from a soccer background. So for me, I knew it was basketball. Like all along, I knew it was basketball. And I remember the summer after I trained Roy Hibbert, right? Like Roy goes to camp. Everybody's talking about how amazing Roy looks. He's in the best shape of his life. Uh, The first month or two in the season, he's absolutely crushing it. And I wrote this article called the Derrick Rose Vertical Jump Program, because this was after Derrick Rose had been injured. And I'll link to the article in the show notes. It's not the best article. Now looking back on it, there's things I would change. But you know, if you're into basketball, you might enjoy that article. But man, I train Roy, I write this article and Eric's just like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you need to sell out and be in basketball. He's like, this is what you were meant to do. He's like, if you wanna be a high level soccer coach, you're gonna have to go to Europe, which just not happening. Like I love Europe, but I'm not moving myself, my family over to Europe. He's like, you gotta dive into basketball, and man. I waffled every way from Sunday. I came up with every excuse. You know, I live in Indianapolis. You know, I don't have a skills guy here, da, 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 da. And so I continued to be in the soccer space all in the back of my mind thinking, why am I not in basketball? So finally, you know, five, six years ago, I met Joey Burton. I felt like, no, this is the time. And ever since, it's been the best years of coaching of my absolute career because I'm serving the people that I want to serve. Okay, so I know that's a long-winded answer to get to this point, but you got to figure out who you're most passionate about serving. So here are some questions to facilitate that thought. Number one, what groups or segments do you enjoy working with the most? And, And again, this isn't something you can ask somebody else. You can't ask me, right? You can maybe have somebody walk you through these, but you have to answer these for yourself. Okay, so number one, what groups or segments do you enjoy working with the most? Number two, what areas of training are you most excited to learn more about? That's really important because there's certain aspects of training where like, okay, once you've kind of mastered the basics, there's not a lot much left. Like there's nuance and little things you can tweak. But again, you know, for me, I always want to evolve. So there needs to be more stuff for me to learn to keep me excited, to keep me engaged about working with that segment. Okay, so what areas of training are you most excited to learn more about? Because that'll help you figure out what segments you can serve. And then this is a tough one, but also incredibly valuable. Number three, if you made zero money training this group for the next year, would you be okay with that? Think about that for a minute. If you could make zero dollars, right? Like, let's just say you had enough money to get by and you had to train this group for free, would you do it? That's generally a pretty strong indicator of a group that you can have long-term success with. So again, I'm all about sharing today. I don't know why I'm giving you guys all these stories. But, you know, if I were to go back through these questions myself, maybe this will be insightful or impactful for you. So number one, what groups or segments do you enjoy working with the most? You know, I love soccer, but man, basketball is my favorite, right? It was my favorite sport growing up. I loved training for basketball. I love the skill development side. I love being around those guys now, guys, girls, whoever I have come in my gym. Like I love the sport. I love the athleticism. I mean, you can probably just tell I'm rambling on gushing right now. I love basketball. So that was an easy one for me. I just kicked that can down the curb too long. Second question, what areas of training are you most excited to learn more about? Again, following my path. I was very strength focused early on. I was in powerlifting. I was around powerlifters. So for me, if you want to create a good basketball player, man, there's a lot more to it than just strength. Strength underpins a lot of qualities. Strength is foundational, but man, I needed to learn about speed. Luckily I found Lee Taft. I need to learn about conditioning. Luckily I had Joel Jamison, right? I need to learn more about sports science. I need to learn more about how force plates work, how, you know, some of these isolated uh, muscle testing devices like Humax and, uh, Oh my gosh, totally spacing on the name right now. Kangatex, Humax, how Kangatex work? How do the isolated muscle functions tie back into, you know, some of those global movement patterns? So there's so much to learn. Like I'm 23 years in now, I've got 30 or 40 more years of learning ahead of me to where I feel like, man, I feel really comfortable with this stuff. So that's exciting to me. It's not like, oh, this once I learn this, I'm done. No, there's so much stuff to learn and the, the fields are continuing to evolve and grow. So that's exciting for me. And then the final question is, if you made zero money training this group for the next year, would you be okay with that? Well, yes, <laughs> because when Joey and I did our second year of work together, we worked out of what we called the basketball barn or more humbly known as the trenches. And man, Joey and I grinded. Out of the trenches. It was like a 40-minute drive away. It was not close to us. And it wasn't an ideal training facility. I had like a little eight by eight powerlifting rack. I had a rogue squat rack. I had kettlebells. I mean, it was it was pretty spartan. But man, we did great work out of there. And I would say we probably trained 50 to 60 professional basketball players of you know all different shapes and sizes, right? You have the Ed Sumners and the Glenn Robinsons who are playing in the NBA. You've got at that time, Keelan Martin, uh, Dakota Mathias, they're going overseas, uh, you know, to the guys that are like playing for 1500 bucks a month in South America. We had it all in that gym, but we didn't make a lot of money that year. In fact, I'm sure that I lost money based on the amount of time it took me to drive there every day, train all the people, tear everything down, drive back, do my regular work. Like I'm sure I lost money that summer, but it built me the client base that has sustained me and helped me grow IFAS basketball for the last five years since. So I think that question is really important. You have to ask yourself, who will I serve? But before you get there, you gotta start general. Start broad and then know over time your goal is to to create that pyramid with a really wide base so when you specialize and you lock in, you're a better coach as a result, okay? One more, number three. I'm sure this is going to ruffle some feathers, but you got to ask yourself, how much will I charge? And yes, my friends, we're talking about money on this podcast, and I'm going to be the one to talk to you about it because at some point you have to ask yourself a serious question, right? Is this a career or is this a hobby? I'm going to say that again. Is training a career for you or is it a hobby? And if it's a hobby, I'm totally cool with that right? Like if you are just passionate about coaching, you make amazing money doing something else. You've got a career that you love and you want to do this as a side hustle because you enjoy it and you're willing to learn. I'm all for that. Like good for you. But if you're listening to this show and you want this to be a career, you have to be serious about money. You have to be serious about what you charge and you have to run it at some level like a business. You can't train people for free forever. So like, (laughs) <laughs> What's funny about the trenches is man out of those 50 or 60 dudes, you know, mostly dudes, a couple couple ladies as well. But out of those 50 to 60 pro athletes that we trained, the next year when Joey and I were just like no more freebies, everybody's getting charged something, right? And sometimes we're talking like 20, 25 bucks for a workout. We went from probably 60, 50-60 to probably 10 to 15 consistent paid clients. And that told us a lot. Not about us, but about them. If they don't value our work or if they don't value their career enough to invest in themselves, that's not somebody I'm willing to work with. Okay. So you got to get serious at some point about making real money if you want to make this a career. In fact, that's why we have the payment structure that we have at IFAST right now for our independent contractors. Because look, I'm all for it. If you wanna go charge 20 bucks for a session and pay the gym five, that's great. But IFAST isn't the place for you. We charge a premium because we've got a great space. I wanna make sure we have great coaches in there. And last but not least, I want them to be charging enough to where they can make this a career. Because I'm gonna invest in every coach that comes in there, right? I'm gonna try and get them hooked up with the cert. When we start having live courses again, I'm gonna get them discounts. I'm gonna do in-services for them. Like I want those coaches to be great but they have to be people that are focused on making this a career, not just a hobby, okay? So when you're just getting started, you'll take almost anything, right? Like, let's just understand that. When we started iFast, I'm not even joking. I was trying to think about this. I think we had eight different ways you could pay, right? And what I mean by that is we had eight different types of contracts. We had an open gym, $59 a month. We had a one time per month. So you get one training session with Bill or I a month, we'd write your program, we'd take you through it one day, and then you could use the gym the rest of the month. We had that. We had once, twice, and three times a week, uh, three month options, and then we had once, twice, or three times per week, annual options. So we had eight different contracts you could choose from. Because again, when we're starting, hey, you wanna pay me $59 a month to rent my equipment and help me keep my lights on? Great, this is a sweet deal, I'm all for it. but Over time, we started to prune, right? Because it comes back to who do I want to serve? But I fast at that point in time, I want to serve people who want coaching. I'm not running an LA fitness or a lifetime fitness or a planet fitness. I'm not running some big box gym, right? I want coaching clients. So the first group that got cut as we started to make more money was the open gyms. The next group that got cut was our one time per monthers to eventually we got to a point in probably our strongest days where everybody was doing at least twice a week. So that's how you have to think about this. But we knew how much we needed to make and we knew what we were worth. So we knew what we were willing to charge. So if we come back to number one, right? Let's kind of bring this full circle here. Who are you training? Shantae, one of my favorite podcasters of all time, Shantae always says the riches are in the niches right? And now I'm thinking about this. It's really the second question. Who are you serving? Who are you training? Shantae is the master of this. And she talks about, hey, the riches are in the niches. So, you know, if you got the guy that's hyper-focused on the knee or the shoulder, there's a reason an orthopod that focuses on just knees or just shoulders does way better than a general ortho does. And there's a reason a specialist for, you know, shoulder surgery makes way more money than a general practitioner does. So, Once you decide who you're going to train, that immediately allows you to command a higher rate. And again, you got to figure out what you're worth. But think about this. Think about it in our perspective or in our world. If you just ran like the most general fat loss boot camp, right? Anybody and everybody, yeah, doesn't matter. You're 20, you're 80, you're 10 pounds overweight, you're 80 pounds overweight. If you just open that up to everybody, man, like who are you really for? And it comes back to that idea of marketing as well, right? When you're trying to cater to everybody, you really attract nobody. Now, think about the contrast to this. So the person that trains every fat loss client on the planet, they will take anybody and everybody versus somebody that only trains elite basketball players. Or they only train postpartum moms who just had a C-section. Or maybe they just train C-suite executives from 45 to 55 years of age. I mean, just think about that. Who is going to make more money? Who can command a higher rate? The specialist. So once you kind of know who you're going to cater to, that immediately allows you to command a higher rate and make more money, which again, it's not just about making money, but if it's a career, you got to put food on the table. You got to be able to pay your mortgage. You got to be able to do all the things necessary to be a normal functioning human being. And I think sometimes as trainers and coaches, we wear it as like this badge of honor, like we're the starving artists, like, hey, not that you can't take one for the team every now and then. We'll talk about this in a minute. You can charge people less, but it's not always the best idea. So we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Because when it comes to price, there's definitely a sweet spot. And I think what happens is early on, you go too low. A lot of us, you know, we don't know our own self-worth. We don't know what we should charge. So we go way too low. And couple things happen here. Either number one, people don't take you serious, right? I'm sorry, if you're charging $20 an hour for a coaching session, that person doesn't take you serious. That's cover charge at a crappy bar here in Indianapolis, okay? You gotta charge enough for people to take you serious and, or you're just commoditized, right? Like if you're charging 10, 20 bucks for a session, they can just roll that into like a YMCA rate, right? Or some big box facility. They can just go do that and do group classes there. So if you go too low, you're commoditized and people don't take you serious. Second, I'm not a believer in just playing the price game, right, because eventually somebody bigger with a a bigger budget, right, more resources, they're just gonna be able to price you out. So if you try and play this, no, I'll go lower, I'll go lower, I'll go lower, eventually a big place like a Fisher, a YMCA or an LA Fitness, some place that has a huge marketing budget, huge ad spends, uh, you know they've got just tons of money and investors to dump into resources. You're not going to win that game, right? So don't play that game. Don't play the price game. On the flip side, if you're too high, and again, this is my philosophy: fewer people can afford you. But I will tell you this: but the people you work with are generally more recession-proof and generally higher-end customers, right? They don't need as much handholding. They're generally not as needy. Not always but in a lot of cases, they're not as needy. Um, There's just less stress overall, right? As long as you're doing what you need to do, right? As long as you're being a professional, you show up to work on time, you take great care of them. I generally believe this is the best type of person that you can serve, right? And I would love to take all the credit for this, but Dan Kennedy, if you follow him and you follow that kind of idea of uh, higher level clients, when I did in-home training, look, it didn't matter housing market collapses yeah stings some of those people just like it stung the rest of us but you know if you have an incredibly high annual wage or net worth or you've got all this investments you know it doesn't matter as much to you right it's not like the first thing you're going to cut is your trainer there's other things that they would train before you or that they would cut before you so at least for me personally this is my philosophy when it comes to price I'd rather be a little too high than a little too low and this has worked out by and large for me over the course of my career. And just so you know, it doesn't mean you have to start high. And I think this is where there's some confusion. If you're just starting off and you're trying to command 100 or $150 an hour, I'm sorry, you're not worth it. It's okay, I wasn't worth that either. When I first started doing online coaching in 2006, which makes me sound and feel really old, I charged $100 for a month, right? Now I charge upwards of $400 a month. It didn't happen overnight. And the value over that period of time has grown immensely. So in 2006, when I wrote you a program, it's an Excel spreadsheet, right? There's a handful of notes. The assessment process is lame because, I mean, look, video isn't even a thing on the internet, right? You send me your static posture pictures, the equipment list, and what you've been doing. And I spew you a program. Uh, Maybe we go back and forth a couple times over email to answer questions, but that's it. Versus now, 2023, when you want to work with me online, we do an onboarding call. You send me pictures, videos, uh, your equipment list, what you've been doing training wise. Uh, I'm doing a full basically online assessment with you. I'm sending you an entire program with videos embedded into the program. Like The value is at least three or four X of what it was. 16, 17 years ago, so it's worth it, right? So just know and understand what you you are charging today doesn't necessarily reflect what you're going to charge five or 10 years from now, right? But you got to figure out that sweet spot for where you're at now and give yourself room to grow as you grow and evolve as a coach. Now, before we wrap this up, I do have three side notes here because, man, price is just, you start talking about money and people get all up in their feelings, okay? So let's talk about a couple things here. Number one, and this is something I learned the hard way when I was running IFAST. If you have a staff, you have to educate your staff on why your pricing is the way that it is. So let me give you an example. If you came into IFAST three, four years ago, two times a week training was three twenty-nine dollars a month. Now, maybe that sounds like a lot of money to you. To me, I didn't think that sounded like a lot of money. But we had staff members, right? Coaches at our gym where they could not fathom spending $329 a month for coaching for themselves. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Think about how hard it is for somebody that can't imagine paying $329 a month for themselves to convince somebody else to pay $329 a month, right? Because their perspectives are totally different. If you're a 22 year old kid, Right. $329 a month is maybe like half of your rent. Right. Or maybe $329 a month is your car payment or more than your car payment. So you can't fathom paying that much money per month for training. But we have people that come into our gym where $329 a month, like that's their Starbucks bill every month, right? Like that's what they would just pay in like Doordash every month or, or even in a couple weeks. That might be a, a good night out on the town. So you got to educate them on why you charge the way that you do and why that number isn't scary for a lot of the people that are walking into your gym. So you got to give them some perspective. Number two, never, and I'm going to bite my tongue. Well, I can't even say, it. I can't even say it with a straight face. Do your best not to sell to bad prospects or in other words, sell to bad prospects at your own risk. And it's funny, this has happened at least twice, like two times really stand out in my 23 years. So I feel like maybe once a decade, I make this mistake and I've already made it for the 2020. So I vow not to make it again for at least seven more years. But when you sell two bad prospects, it will bite you in the ass. No two ways about it. And it's happened to me. It happened when we opened the gym. Uh, I... Got a gal to come in and work with us twice a week and just all the red flags, right? Didn't want to work out around other people, even though we were a group training business. Um, All of the red flags emotionally, psychologically. Um, The empath in me told me I could help her. And three months later, I just continued to realize I cannot help this woman because she didn't need me. She needed like a psychologist. She needed somebody to help her with her mental health. Uh, same thing here, you know, in the last couple years, I had another person that I worked with and I just kept thinking, no, I can help this person. Like, I really, I think I can help this person. And again, all the red flags, right? Like the medical history, the victim attitude, I thought I could help them and it bit me in the ass. So I'm just going to tell you, there are certain clients, I don't care how much money they would pay you. They're not worth it. Okay. So don't sell your soul to try and help somebody that can't or won't be fixed. And last but not least, I think this is one is something that especially as a young coach will be valuable for you, for you to hear. Undercharging someone is a surefire way to resent them in the long run. So let's say you've deemed you're worth $100 an hour. And you've got a client that you say, oh man, they're just, they're, they're an awesome person. They can only pay me 50 though. So I'm going to take it, right? I need the money. I'm going to take it. And so here's what ends up happening, right? I don't care how much you like this person. Little things will start to eat away at you. They show up five minutes late. Oh man, they don't, you know, like now you're kind of mad. Uh, They late cancel on a session. Um, They're like talking, like little stuff that wouldn't ever, ever bother you starts to grow in magnitude and in scale. And all of a sudden you're like, dude, I'm so mad at this person because You undercut your own self-worth by undercharging them. So I'm just going to tell you right now, undercharge people at your own risk. Set your rate, stick to your rate, because ultimately, if you don't do that and this person stays around long enough, eventually it will start to wear on you and you will start to resent them. So just going to let you know, mistake I've made along the way. Do not undercharge people. Know what you're worth. Stick to your guns. And if they don't see the value in that, then they're not the right person for you. Okay? So a few questions to ponder, and then we will wrap up. Number one, what is your pricing now? Okay? Like, what are your prices? What are your rates? What do you charge for, you know, a session, a month, once a week, twice a week? However you charge, what is your pricing now? And then ask yourself, And again, this is is not something I can answer for you. Is this reflective of what you're worth? If it is, great. You don't have anything to worry about. If it's not, it's time to course correct. And again, when you do this, when you course correct, when you know you've been undercharging and then you bump your rates up, you will lose people. It's gonna happen. And again, that's okay, at least in my book. If somebody doesn't feel like I give the value for what I'm charging, then they're not a good fit. And I'm either not doing my job or they don't see the value regardless. Somewhere there's a disconnect and it's not gonna work. So be okay with losing people to ultimately create the customer and the client base that's ideal for you. And then finally, start to have some forward thought here. How would you like to see your pricing evolve in the coming months and years? So I've kind of got it baked in now to where I have my rates. People know what my rates are. It's on a sheet. And I just let them know, look, every year, these rates are probably going to go up about $5. So there's some uh, recession proof, uh, inflation proof wiggle room baked in there. They know like, hey, I'm not going to pull a fast one on you. I'm not going to wait, you know, a year and then add 10%. No, but every year, I'm probably going to add about $5 because I'm going to continue to get better, right? I'm going to invest in myself and courses. You know how much time and energy I spend on you, right? When you're there, I'm, I'm tethered to you. I want to make sure that you're seeing results. I'm going to spend more time on your programs. You know, like I'm going to continue to grow and evolve. So I'm going to charge you more as a result because every year you're going to get a better Mike Robertson than you did the year before. So man, I hope this was valuable for you. What are we at here? 50 minutes, man, that was a little bit longer than I would have thought. I thought this was like a 30 minute show, but you know, to kind of bring this full circle, There's lots of questions we could ask, right? But I think these three are really, really foundational. Number one, what's your philosophy? And I think the biggest takeaway there is if you have one, great, keep working at it. If you don't have one, start to think big picture and don't focus on the specifics. Don't focus on the details, think about the principles. So number one, what's your philosophy? Number two, who will I serve? Start broad, train anybody. If they have a heartbeat, and a credit card, train them early on, right? Like get your reps, get your exposures. So when it is time to specialize and lock in, you have so much more perspective to build from. You're just a much better coach as a result of working with all those different people. And then last but not least, number three, how much will I charge? There's a sweet spot here. Too low, you're commoditized. People don't respect you. Too much, people can't afford you. So find that sweet spot and just know what you're worth right? Don't sell to the wrong people. Uh, Don't undercharge people because you'll resent them. Know what you're worth. Say it with pride. Stick to your guns and know that you're going to bring a tremendous amount of value to the table every time you write a program or you coach your clients and athletes. So my friend, I really hope this was valuable for you. I like these kind of shows. It's a little bit more work on my end, but if it's valuable to you, then I am more than happy to keep doing them. So one of two small favors. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, come on, man. Don't play. Don't don't string me out anymore. Let's make this a relationship. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon store, YouTube podcast. We out there everywhere. Wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now. Hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. Number two, if you're already subscribed, thank you. Appreciate it. Go one step further, and would you just share this episode with somebody who would benefit from it? Maybe they haven't had some of these deeper thoughts about their business, about who they want to serve, what their philosophy is, how much they should be charging, right? These are like really core foundational questions that every successful trainer or coach needs to ask. So if you know somebody that would benefit from hearing this, please forward this onto them. I would greatly appreciate it. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.